I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Romans chapter 2. And uh, I heard a story about some people up north of here. Three guys who were deer hunting. And... uh, (laughs) And... uh, a game warden came by and said, stop to check them out. You know, they had a, they had a, <laughs> that's the joke police. <laughs> the game warden stopped by and he was checking them out and he said, hey, you know, you guys got some nice stuff hanging up over there. And they had a, two bucks and a bear and they're all three shot right between the eyes. And the game warden said, wow, that's. That's some shooting, man. And the guy said, yeah, yeah, you know, it was a good day. And he said, well, he said, uh, he said, let me, look at the, let me look at these animals. And so he went over and looked at it, and, and the bear had a hole between his eyes and had a hole in each paw. And he thought, that's weird. And so he said to the guy, he said, what, what happened here? How did the bear get a hole in each paw in between the eyes. He said, well, when we shined the light on him, he went like this. <laughs> I, did, uh, you know, I thought about telling a joke about somebody who called the church named Bambi looking for their dad this week. <laughs> of course, you've got to go way back in time to know that one, don't you? Yeah, way back in time. Have you know who Bambi is, the little deer? <laughs> My mom used to always give my dad a hard time about killing Bambi. My dad always said, well, Bambi tastes so good. (laughs) Uh, Romans chapter 2. Thank you, John. John brings me back to center. Let's move on because this is not going too good. Romans 2. I want to bring you a sermon this morning entitled, Wait. Christians are supposed to be Christian. This can sometimes be shocking to to be reminded of the fact that we are Christians, and we're supposed to be Christians, just as our name says. Romans chapter 1 through 3 are so important to us as Christians. They are just as important to us as Christians as Genesis chapter 1 through 3. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell us where we came from, who made us, and and how this world came into be. And Genesis chapter 3 tells us why the world is such a big mess. And Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 are just as important as understanding Genesis 1 through 3. And I would, you know, but the reality of it is, is most of us are way more familiar with Genesis 1 to 3 than we are with Romans 1 to 3. Romans 1, Romans chapter 1 through the middle part of chapter 3 tells us why the world is in such a mess. And then Romans 3 verses 21 through 31 tell us how God has directly acted to bring sinners into his glorious presence. I want to point out three things this morning from Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. And then uh, next, su- next Sunday, the Lord willing, we're going to take a, diver- a diversion from Romans and give five sermons on the advent of Christ about Jesus coming into the world in this time of the year. So this will be our last look at Romans for a little while, and we'll, t- we'll take a break from it. Romans chapter 2, verse number 6. If you have your copy of God's Word, I hope you'll follow along with the reading. Romans chapter 2, verse 6. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, immortality, he will give eternal life. 
but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. We trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. I want you to notice three things here. The first thing I want you to notice in this reading is that God will give you exactly what you deserve. No one, no one escapes their just desserts in the last day. And my friends, you do not like ultimatums, do you? I do not like ultimatums. But God has given us an ultimatum, and that is submit to his son Jesus, repent of your sins, and entrust the care of your soul to Jesus, or suffer the consequences. It's a big statement. Judgment is going to come. If you have your Bible, turn to, not Proverbs, but turn to Psalms chapter 2 and listen to what the sweet psalmist says in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Psalms 2, verses 1 through 12. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. This is what the world says to God. We do not want God to, over, to look over us. We don't want to submit to God's oversight. So we try to throw off what they view as his chains and shackles. Verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. That's Christ. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, to the great king, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and that will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, kings of the earth, be wise and be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. And then here's the great offer. Kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. Submit to Christ, kiss the son, kiss the ring, do obeisance to him or your stiff nakedness. Your hard-headedness, your hard-heartedness will lead you to destruction. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the Son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him." This is the message of Scripture. God is going to give to you exactly what you deserve. But God gives to you this exit ramp from wrath. He gives you this salvation offer. He says, look to Christ and be saved. Kiss the Son, lest you you perish. The second thing I want you to notice in this reading in Romans is that there are only good and evil deeds in the eyes of the Lord. Look at verses 9 and 11. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the 
Jew, then for the Gentile, but honor and glory, but honor, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. There are only good and evil deeds. And the same standard of judgment by God to determine what is good and evil is used upon both Jew and Gentiles. The Jews do not have their own standard of what is right and wrong, and then Gentiles the others. No, it's one standard. There are only good and evil deeds. Now, what we like to do is we like to live in the gray, don't we? In the gray zone. Is it really, you know? But God doesn't work that way. God's law is one. It is true. It is plain. And my friends, you and I, as Christian people, we need to be (laughs) do-gooders. We need to be doing good in the world in which we live. We need to be doing what God would have us to do. We need to work at being good and decent people. So just here, just brief statements about that, okay? Don't be a nasty person. (laughs) Be nice. Don't be vengeful. Don't hold grudges. Sometimes I, when, I, when I play sports, I'm so competitive, I want to win so badly. I want to win so badly. And sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're in competition, you know, your, your blood gets to pumping, and, you, and, and maybe the, you want to do almost anything to win. That is me right there. That is me. And when you are competing, you play against people who also want to win, right? And in the, in the spirit of competition, sometimes elbows are thrown. Noses are mashed. <laughs> Words are said. And sometimes you can, be, you can hold a grudge over these things. Don't be that way. <laughs> Don't be vengeful. Don't be vengeful with your wife or with your husband. Don't be vengeful with your brothers and your sisters. Don't be vengeful with your co-workers. Don't be vengeful with people you go to school with. Don't be a grudge holder. Don't be hateful. Don't be a racist. Don't be a murderer in heart. And if any of these things apply to you, when you realize you've sinned against God, repent of that sin. Turn in your mind. Realize, acknowledge it. This is a sin. And call out to Him. Ask Him to forgive you for it, and God will forgive you for it. But don't forget to forsake that sin. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoso confesseth his sins shall find mercy, but whoso covers them will not have mercy. I've messed up the verse, but that's the gist of it. Once you have confessed your sin, once you've realized you've done the wrong thing, confess, repent, and then move forward. Move forward. If you want a more comprehensive list of evil deeds, all you need to do is look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Take that list. I think there are 24 or 25 different sins there that are very broad in scope. They go from very big sins to very small sins. They go from murder all the way down to disobeying your parents and everything in between. Take that list, put it on your refrigerator if you need to, and say, I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm going to be a do-gooder. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to walk in the light as he is in the light. I'm going to abandon the unhealthy life of darkness. Make it your ambition to be a Christian in this world. And if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, that means you have the Holy Spirit living within you. 
And if you are a Christian, you already know because of the Holy Spirit working in you that you must devote yourself to holiness. Devote yourself to Him. This is the third thing I want to say to you. And that is that spiritual character. The spiritual character of people is revealed by their deeds. You know, when your friends and coworkers find out you're a Christian, it shouldn't cause them to have a heart attack. What? A guy's a Christian? You're killing me. It shouldn't surprise anybody that you're a Christian. What should, what, what should happen is that when they hear you're a Christian, they should go, now it all makes sense. Everything just clicked, and now I understand why they are the way they are. It's because they're a Christian. A Christian. Look at the reading here in verses 6 through 8 in Romans 2. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. When we read this section of of Scripture, it's easy to start to think, well, this looks like eternal life is earned, like I am working my way into eternal glory. But that is not the case, because you cannot separate a verse here from the broader context of Scripture. You can't rip it out of its context and create some new doctrine. If you, take it from, if you remove a text from its context, not just in, within the small section of Scripture like in Romans, but from the whole of Scripture, you create an error. Take your Bible, turn the page to Romans chapter 3, and listen to verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. If you turn forward just a little bit more to Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, listen to God's word here. Galatians 2, verses 15 and 16. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified. Now, this word justified is a very cool word. It's a very cool word. But it's a word that we can misunderstand. And maybe you need to take a pen or a pencil. And and next time you read through the Bible, especially in the epistles, and you see the word justified, write beside it the word saved. Because we know what being saved is, don't we? We understand that. And and they mean, it's talking about the same thing. Listen to the reading here. 2.15. We know that a person is not justified or saved by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, that we, may be, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. All of Scripture, the testimony of Scripture is a person is saved from eternal damnation. A person is saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. Michael Peterson gave me a book uh, a few weeks ago, and I've been reading it uh, here and there uh, since he gave it to me. And one of the things it says in that book is so, is so interesting. It says the object of your faith is important. It's not just enough to have faith, because we all have faith. 
But the object of our faith is important. We must intentionally place our faith in Jesus as our Savior. A conscious act. I'm entrusting myself to Jesus' care. So, Leslie's not in here. She's out there, so I'm going to talk about Leslie. Don't tell her. You hear? Especially you guys. This side's bad. That side's better. This side is bad. So, Leslie, and Mitchell's here too. And I'll talk about Mitchell too. I'm not going to talk about Mitchell because I love Mitchell more than Leslie. (laughs) And so Leslie is our third driver in our house. The third kid that I've taught to drive. Ask Valerie. Everybody say, hey, Valerie. Has Leslie driven you around? (laughs) There's only one person in our house brave enough to ride with a teenage Basham <laughs> behind the wheel. That's me. And so, you know, when I get in the car with Leslie and she's going to drive, I am intentionally placing my faith in God. <laughs> I'm putting my faith in her. Because I've been zipping through, you know, we've been zipping through lots of places together. But we've come into Sheboygan many times and come to that first stoplight down there by Walmart. And, and I'm pushing with my right foot on the floor. Ooh! And I'm praying that it can transfer over to her foot and push her foot down too. I mean, but I have to trust her. I have to intentionally put my faith in her and say, do you see that car? <laughs> We, put our, we have to put our faith. And my friends, when you get saved, you intentionally are putting your faith in Jesus to save you. Intentionally. It's not accidentally. It's something that you have to do. You must put your faith in Christ. If you do not put your faith in Christ, you are not going to be saved from eternal damnation. You must intentionally do it. You can't put your, your trust in your works because your works will not remove your guilt. You can never be good enough. Only Jesus could be good enough. And my friends, when you put your faith in Jesus, God the Heavenly Father imputes to you the righteousness that Jesus Christ has earned. Jesus Christ came into the world. Born of a virgin, lived without sin, never sinned against God in thought, word, or deed. Never in thought, never in word, never in deed. You guys do a real good job of not sinning in deed, don't you? You sin some indeed, but you know, most of your sinning is not out here. It's right here or right here. But Jesus never did any of those things. And when you put your faith in Jesus, God credits to you the righteousness of Christ. He gives to you Jesus' record. And that's through faith. And you must put your faith in Jesus intentionally and directly. So what is Romans 6 telling you? What is Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 8? What's going on here? What Paul is telling is something we all need to take note of, and that is that a person's spiritual character is revealed by the way they live their life. What sort of character do you think that a person who has been born of God, a person who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them, what sort of character do you think that person would have? What would you expect to see from that person? It's what you see 
in verse number 7. Those who do good, seek glory and honor and immortal and eternal life. This is the character of a Christian. You say, yeah, but what about, you know, I've been a Christian a long time and I've known Christians. And then Christians, they don't seem to do this perfectly. So I need to take note of this word in verse number 7, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory. Persistence. This is an interesting word, persistence. I can say without a doubt that the reason Valerie is sitting here as my wife today is because of my persistence. Because I stalked her. When I was a kid, we didn't know what stalking was. We thought it was being into somebody. But now it's stalking. I used to call her every day at work. And just breathe in the phone. <laughs> I, called her on, I called her every break. Every time I was on break, I, she was a receptionist at her job. She answered the phones for a living. And so I would call her. Every break I got, I'd say, hey, what are you doing? She's like, working. And I just kept on calling her and calling her. I would go by and put stuff on her car, flowers on her car, cards on her car. I was just always in the way. I persistently went after her because I told her I liked her. She said, yes, yeah, so what? She didn't like me at all. Can you believe that? <laughs> I had to wear her down, man. I just persisted. I would do something nice for her, you know, and it would get nothing. But I would just keep on going and going and going and going until finally one day, you know, the scales fell from her eyes. <laughs> and she saw what a treasure I was. And here I am giving her a hard time still. <laughs> Persistence. You see... Christians, they do sin, but the word persistence is worth noting here. God's children, they fail and they fall into sin. But Proverbs 24, 16 says this. Listen to the reading. Proverbs 24, 16. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. They rise again. I've been a Christian a long time and I've fallen so many times. But the mark of a Christian is when they fall into sin they rise up from it and they try again. Persistence. 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 They persist in doing good. They strive to do good. They want to be worthy of the name Christian. They want to honor the Lord who has saved them. The Holy Spirit working in us, changing us, renovating us making us new creatures, transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Holy Spirit works in us. And what's interesting here as we talk about this, um, the authorized version, I think, says that a righteous man falls like seven times. It's, it, it goes on and on. This appears in, in verse number seven. I'm not into, numer- I'm not into numerology or anything like that, or that numbers are really significant in Scripture. I don't, I don't think that's true. But sometimes I do think it's true. <laughs> so in verse number 7, we have the number 7, which is the number for perfection. And there are also seven days in a week, right? 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I guess Sunday's actually number one. In the Psalms, the Psalms are, the, are probably one of the greatest selections of Scripture, the Psalms. If you don't read the Psalms, you're missing out. I was talking to a lady in a church in, uh, uh, up here, not, not around here, but in this area. Uh, oh, this has been in the summertime. And uh, I was talking to her about the Psalms, and she said something that I really I was shocked by. She said that in the Psalms, she said that's just David's whining in the Psalms. Just David's whining. <laughs> the inspired Holy Scripture is just David's whining. When the Psalms... The Holy, in the Psalms is where you find the emotional side of Christianity, in the Psalms. And in the, in the Psalms, there are seven Psalms that are penitential Psalms. These are Psalms to pray when you fall into sin. Seven of them. I'm going to give them to you. We're not going to look at them. Just, if you want to take them down, there's one for every day of the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Psalms 6. Psalms 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. And if you say, well, I, I wasn't able to get them all down, just Google it. It's there. 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. Every day when you fall into sin, you can take one of these psalms and make it your prayer. You can, you can just pray through it as a penitential act. These are the prayers I'm making to God. Southern Baptist legend Adrian Rogers, when he talked about Christians falling into sin, he said that when a Christian falls into sin... He said, a saved person, I'm trying to read my handwriting here, give me just a second. The difference between a saved person and a lost person is that, when a lost, is that a lost man, he leaps into sin and loves it. And a saved man, he lapses into sin and then loathes it. He detests it about himself. That's the difference between a saved person and a Christian person. Save people when they sin, they're tempted to sin, they're attracted to sin, and they sin. But then afterwards, they feel bad about it. Maybe they don't feel bad about it right away. But, but have, you ever, have you ever experienced the convicting power of the Holy Spirit? Where it's like you've got the, whole, it's, it's like you've got the spiritual yucks. You realize you, this has happened to me sometimes when I was a teenager. I was always being lured into the wrong places. And I would get into some of those situations around some people. Maybe I'd be at a party and things are going on that, you know, we're, we're, we're not right. And I felt out of place. I felt yuck, kind of yucky because I was where I shouldn't be. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. The Holy Spirit trying to help you and guide you. That's the, the spiritual character of a Christian. It's a person who persists in continuing to do good even though they've done evil. What sort, of, what sort of character is typical of a person who's not a Christian? It's in verse number 8. Listen to these words carefully. But for those who are self-seeking, 
who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. The character of a person who is not a Christian is that they are self-seeking. They are committed to themselves above all things. And you can run that out to great extremes, but they are consumed with self. Self. Rejecting the truth. What does this mean? John Gill says this refers to the truth of the gospel. Because if a person rejects the gospel truth, it doesn't matter what other truth they believe. If you reject the gospel, nothing else matters. They reject the truth. They hear it and they reject it, turning away from it. They follow evil. This word follow is kind of interesting. It could mean that they, are, that they serve evil. It could mean that they are embracing evil. It could also mean that they are putting their confidence in their evil ways. Confidence in their evil ways. Now, which one sounds like a child of God? A person who is seeking the good things, persistently pursuing immortality, glory, and honor? Or a person who is seeking self-satisfaction? Rejecting the truth and following evil. Which one sounds like a Christian to you? Which character traits describe the citizens of the kingdom of light? And which describes the citizens of the kingdom of darkness? You see, the people who follow Jesus are following their shepherd into heavenly glory. And those who follow their own wicked hearts follow it into perdition itself. You say, well, I see what you're saying. But are you saying that, that, these, that this persistence is what saves us? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying to you is that when the new birth takes place, you can't help but be different. You can't help but be different. You can't help it. James chapter 2 describes this for us and gives us an illustration of two people in James chapter 2, of a man named Abraham and a girl named Rahab. Abraham and Rahab. When Abraham began to follow God, Genesis chapter 22, God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, I want you to take him up onto a mountain that I've picked out for you, and I want you to kill your son there. Offer him as a burnt offering to me. Wow. What a command from God. Take your son, your only son, is the promised son. He had, he had an older son named Ishmael, but Isaac is the special son. Take your son and kill him. What does Abraham do? He says, come on. Gets Isaac, takes the guy, takes him out to the mountain, ties up Isaac, puts him on the altar, and as Abraham is about to stick the knife into Isaac, an angel from heaven comes down and stops Abraham from doing it. That's what it took for Abraham to be stopped. It took divine intervention. God had to reach down himself through a spirit messenger and stop Abraham from killing his son. That's mind-blowing to me, but that's how committed Abraham was to his God. It's mind-blowing. That's big. Don't you wish you could be that obedient to God? And then the other example James gives in James chapter 2 is of a woman named Rahab. She's the woman who kept a house of harlotry, which tells us that The kingdom of heaven is open to everybody. (laughs) The spies come in 
And she hides the spies. The spies are coming to spy out the land. And she's in the city of Jericho. And the spies come in. And, and she hides the spies. And she says, listen, guys, I know we, we're all afraid. We know that your God is going to give our city to you. We know you are going to be the, the conquerors of the land. And I don't want to get killed. And so the spies say, take this red cord and tie it in the window. And you'll be all right. What does she do? She lets him out the window, and what's she tie in the window right away? She puts that string out there ASAP. She doesn't delay. That was a demonstration of her faith in the message of God. Her faith. Now, Abraham's voluntary, willing offering of his son Isaac to God, that was his act of faith, and that was big, wasn't it? That's massive. I wouldn't be surprised if there were people in this room right now who, when you became a Christian, it totally wrecked your whole life. Because you stopped drinking and drugging and sleeping around, doing all kinds of wicked deeds when you became a Christian. And when you flipped the switch from darkness to light, it was boom, life-altering. Then there might be people who are here who, when you became a Christian, you were just a small kid in the midst of a Christian family in a Christian church. And, all, and the only thing that really changed for you was you went from not believing to believing. But you embraced the truth. See, what happens is when we put our faith in God, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And He's changing us. He's doing things. And, and you can expect to see dramatic changes in people's lives. In some people's lives. But it's always there. Rahab... But let's not forget the fact that Rahab was in a particular kind of business, wasn't she? Some people say that Rahab maybe wasn't a harlot herself. Is that she was just, uh, she kept a hotel kind of a place where, you know, if you wanted female companionship for the evening, you could get it. She would arrange that kind of thing. But the Bible calls her the harlot, so we'll go with what Scripture says. Her life is changed through faith. James 2, what James is telling us, he says in James 2 that if you want to tell me that you have faith, he says, show me, he said, instead of just telling me your faith, show me your faith. If you read the New Testament, what you see over and over again is is a call from God through the Scripture to Christians to live like Christians, to live up, to live up, to walk in the light, to be clean and holy. Now, Sometimes we hear the word being holy or holy living, we kind of picture in our mind a life of drudgery. <laughs> At least I do, because that's because my mind works in a weird way. Holy. But you know, we have to get inside of our mind that the world we live in is t- always telling us Christians don't have any fun, Christians are square. My day used to do this all the time. L7. <laughs> Christian life is... Ugh. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 makes it clear that God wants us to enjoy our lives and to do, all the, do, do the things we want to do. God is not against going hunting, amen? God is not against going fishing, amen? God is not against living in Michigan, amen? He is against winter, though. <laughs> The, the Lord wants you to enjoy. It says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing better for a, than for a man to enjoy the fruits of his labors. There is nothing more thrilling 
in my opinion, than making some money and taking that money down somewhere and buying yourself something that makes you happy. It's great. It's awesome. And God wants us to enjoy our life. And I've been a Christian a long time, and I can tell you two things are true about being a Christian. Being a Christian is difficult at times and deeply fulfilling at times. It's not always easy. Well, I can say without a doubt it's worth it. Being holy means that the overall character of your life is one that says, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I don't think there are very many people, well, I'm not going to say that. Being holy means living a life that honors and glorifies God in whatever you do. Whatever you're doing, if you're doing it for the honor and glory of God, that's important. That's, that's worthwhile. Enjoy the life God's given to you. It's a lie of Satan. Satan comes along and whispers in your ear, Christians are oppressive. Christians are bad. Christians are this or that. It's not true. It's not true. Being a Christian is wonderful. Being a Christian is great. It'll keep you out of a lot of trouble being a Christian, Will. And I don't know very many Christians who are mad about it. I mean, I, I've been around a lot, of, a lot of Christians, and they seem to like being a Christian. Because it's, it's not like when you, be a, when, you, when you become a Christian, you've got to join a commune and give all your stuff to everybody else. You only have one, one set of clothes and one pair of shoes, and you know, and it's oppressive. It's not like that. Enjoy what God has given to you. You see, my friends, a Christian is supposed to be a Christian. A Christian. So I want to give you these three things in conclusion, all right? Three things. Number one, for everybody, final judgment is coming. Psalms 2 is in the Bible. The world's been thrown off God's oversight and restraint for all time, and God's mercy is going to come to an end. God's patience is going to come to an end. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus before the end comes, you're going to be sorry for all eternity that you didn't. Put your faith in Jesus while you can. Let me say this to you. You should put your faith in Jesus right this second. Don't wait. Don't wait. Call upon him now. Right this second. Call out from your heart, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me, cleanse me, wash me. You know what he'll do? He'll do it. You may say, well, what about all the stuff in my past? doesn't matter. He knows about it. He sent Jesus to save you from it. He'll save you in a flash. There is no way to escape final judgment except through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Number three, Christian, you need to be sure that you're living a life that honors Christ. You need to be sure you're living a life that honors Christ. You need to work at it. It's not easy because we mess up. If we never messed up, it'd be easy to, be, to live a Christian life. But we fall. This is where we must be persistent. Be persistent in living for Christ. When you read the scripture, it, it looks like that 
the natural, normal thing for a person who's been born again is that they want to live for God, that they want to live a life that honors Christ. If that is not how you feel, I want you to ask yourself, am I really a Christian? I don't want you to ask that question of your son or your daughter or your wife or your husband. I don't want you to do that. I want you to think about yourself. What did the pastor talk about Sunday? Thinking about ourself. <laughs> think about you. The Apostle Paul said, examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Look at yourself. Ask yourself, am I a Christian? There could be things that affect your Christian joy. If you, if you are intentionally committing willful sins all the time, you're getting all cruddy. You're getting all junked up. I, don't know, I guess I'll tell this brief story. Has anybody ever walked across a muddy field? A muddy field? And, you, and you're walking across there, and, what, and, and you're walking across, and, and you get mud on your boots or your shoes. What happens is the further you walk across that field, what happens to that, that patty of mud on your foot? It just gets bigger and bigger and heavier and heavier until finally you stop, and what do you do? You kick it off, or you find a rock and you knock it off, and then you start walking in, and it's a lot easier to walk, isn't it? You keep yourself clean. In the Christian life, when you, if you get into sins, it just clunks you up, weights you down. When I was a kid, we didn't have a shower at our house. All we had was a bathtub. And so, one time my mom brought me and my brother into the bathroom, and she began to scream at us. She said, why aren't you guys wiping the ring out of the bathtub after you're done? You guys remember taking baths? <laughs> Before showers was open. And there'd be a, be a ring around the bathtub. As a kid, I never even noticed it. How many of you kids ever noticed it before your mom pointed it out? I never noticed it. You know, by the time my dad took a bath, my dad never wiped out a bathtub ring in his life. He had my mom, right? So by the time my dad took a bath, and I took a bath, and my brother took a bath, my mom comes to take a bath, what's on the bathtub? A three-layer ring. <laughs> and she said, why don't you guys wipe it out? Because she said, by the time I get in here, it's dry and hard, and i got to really scrub to get it out. And she would get so mad. She said, it's so easy. If you guys just take your washcloth when you're done, just, just give, it a, give it a lick around the edge. It'll be done. Easy. She said, when it dries on there, it's hard to get off. I got to get the comet and I got to scrub it, you know. And she was mad. And you and I as Christians, when we, when we don't get the sin out of our life, we let it cake up. It's hard to get rid of it. It builds up and it messes us up. And that could be why you don't, you're not interested in living for the Lord. could be you got sin in your life, you just need to get it out. If you've drifted from Christ, come back to Him. If you realize you have wandered away, come back to Him. You may say, though, well, I've wandered so far, I don't know where to start. Lucky for you, God is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipowerful. Because wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in, all you got to do is cry out to him, and he's there. He's there. Call out to him. Let's pray together.
Father, we pray that you bless these words to our hearts. Do a work in us through the Holy Spirit that will be lasting and enduring. I pray you would save every person here who's not a Christian. You'd open their eyes to the truth and they would turn their hearts to Christ and believe on him. Help those of us, Lord, who are Christians, who are persistent or trying to serve you, Lord. Help us to do better, Lord. Help us to be encouraged. But you'll help us with it. Lord, I pray for those who are here who are backslidden away from you. Maybe right now, Lord, this message is falling on dull ears, but Lord, if I pray you would touch their hearts, Lord. Maybe this afternoon while they're at the house, in their bedrooms, watching television, during the week, I pray you would touch their hearts, Lord, and show them their condition, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.